the race is on. And Ferrari's Charles Leclerc set the pace on the second day of pre-season testing in Barcelona, despite driving a car that looked very lively on the straights. But with teams still getting a handle on these new cars, and the spread of times very similar to day one, what do we know about the competitive order and just how bad is the porpoising problem? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to reveal all are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Just a very quick summary before we get into the chat in detail. A dry day of running again in Barcelona. 16 of the 20 race drivers in action. Only Verstappen, Norris, Alonso and Sonoda had a day off. Ferrari set the pace with Leclerc, putting in a time of 1 minute 19.689 seconds using the C3 Pirellis. That was actually just over a tenth of a second slower than Lando Norris's fastest time from yesterday. Alpha Tauri, Second fastest with Pierre Gasly, 0.229 seconds off. Ricardo for McLaren, third fastest, 0.599 off. Both of those two on the C4. So, Mark, we'll start with you. Even for day two of testing, where we don't expect many answers to be given, things are still quite amorphous, aren't they, in terms of performance and lap times? Yeah, it's um, pretty much like you know, yesterday, as you said, and I guess that's just a reflection of the newness of everything. They know that they've got bigger problems than usual to solve, and they, you know, they, it, 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 it's usually as they they hone in on the on the solutions that you start seeing a, the pattern forming. And I think we're still a long way from that at the moment. So yeah, it looks <laughs> pretty much as it did yesterday. And of course, we're doing daily testing podcast again. We're in our hotel, so you might hear a few lobby noises in the background. But Gary Anderson. You did have a look at the cars on track today, as we promised yesterday. Before we get on to that, what do you make of the lap times? Is there anything meaningful to divine from them? Uh, again, it's very difficult. You know, uh, you're talking there about uh, Charles Leclerc's lap, um, 79.6. I mean, he did that on a on a 17-lap run. He did it on his third lap of a 17-lap run. So, you know, there's for sure more lap time in there. Uh, the lap time on that 17-lap run was, was pretty consistent. He dropped out of the 1-minute 19s pretty quickly but he, you know he's held on to the low one minute 20s so he wasn't abusing the tires um you know going for that one lap special so i i imagine you know when all when things when push comes to shove that those lap times will get down into the the uh one minute 17s somewhere around there um and whenever you consider that the pole for the the spanish grand prix was a, a one minute 16.7 you know these cars I, I think these cars are probably going to end up about a second slower maybe a second and a bit slower initially but that, that will you know i'm sure they'll get on top of that fairly quickly but i think you know most teams are really concentrating on just making sure they understand the car that the the the, the, the cars correlate with what they predicted from the wind tunnel and, and cfd because that's the big thing if you if you can get all that sorted in your head that you're getting out of the car what the car should give you then you know what way to go and develop it so no point in starting just throwing bits at it until you know what you want so i think still the testing it's only the second day you know and these are all new cars with a whole new learning curve. So I think it's, it's just giving it all a bit of time. But they all, on the track, you know, there's nothing wrong with anything. They all look good. And I'm very impressed by that because, I mean, all these teams, they have good simulation, whatever now. From the front of the, the grid to the back of the grid, it, it changes a bit, the amount of simulation you've got or the amount of tools you have. But um, still, even the teams that will be at the back of the grid are still doing a very, very good, very, very good job. Yeah, it's just a question of waiting for them to really start exploring the performance more. It's tempting to look at the number of laps and think, well, there's no problems, but there's still a lot of things that they need to learn. So we still seem to be in that phase. Well, Mark, George Russell, he suggested that McLaren and Ferrari had the edge today. When he was asked, he said Mercedes is definitely not ahead. Is that just the normal Mercedes 
they don't particularly worry about what they look like in testing. They're never concerned about being fastest. Or do you think there is anything for that? Or is it just Russell saying, well, those two cars look quick because they're at the top of the timesheets and he's not really offering a, a proper analysis of anything? I think they don't know where they, you know, where the others are at. They're just focusing on themselves, and that's that's the lap time that that car's doing with that fuel load in and on those tyres at that time of day. So, you know, I don't think they're getting too much into getting distracted by looking to see where the others are. But if you ask a driver and he has a look and he says, "Oh, well, you know, they've got um, they've got a nineteen seven and, and we're we're on um, twenty point five. It looks like they're a bit quicker than us, but you've, you've no idea really. So um, they they don't they haven't come out of the box flying, which they have done sometimes in the in the past. Um, but way too way too early to um, read anything into that, really. Yeah, the only thing that's a little bit surprising by Mercedes standards is they're only six in the in the mileage charts. Ferrari's top with one thousand four hundred sixteen kilometers. Should have said kilometerage charts, really, shouldn't I? Rather than mileage, there. Yeah, Ferrari top from Alpha Tauri. Mercedes down in six one thousand and eighty nine. Alpha Romeo at bottom of that with five hundred seventy nine kilometers so far, and Haas above them with seven hundred five kilometers. But it does seem, Gary, that Often we have the the kind of storyline of if one of the big teams is in trouble. But there's no one who looks massively out of place, certainly in the, the, the expected leading teams, are there? It's more a question of if someone is in trouble, they're going to be, you know, tents off rather than in some massive performance struggle. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I know it doesn't really mean much, but from the fastest car to the slowest car in, uh, and taking the cars, just not the drivers, but the fastest car to the slowest car in uh, the Spanish Grand Prix last year with. A, a, a time difference of 2.476 seconds and today from the fastest car which is the Ferrari to the Alpine which is the slowest car as such we had 2.475 seconds so you know in qualifying last year we knew the fuel loads were all low because everybody's doing that today we didn't know but um, it's still amazing that it's come out so close um, the one thing I would say is uh, I went down to pit lane today to have a bit of a look um, and I saw Mercedes impressed me a little bit because they were doing what I call pit lane engineering a little bit there. There was a guy underneath the front of the chassis with a grinder grinding something off. I couldn't see what it was. And also on the back of the car, um, they were they were taping some bits of carbon sheet onto a, um, two of the wishbone legs. I, I think they were sort of fairing the two of them in, to be honest. I mean, it was one of those sort of things that was very hard to see, but they had some bits of carbon about, I don't know, 10 centimetres, 12 centimetres long by about 5 centimetres wide and they were putting them across two of the wishbone legs and taping them in with the metal tape that they use and then taping them over with black tape so nobody would see them. And I had a bit of a look at that. So, you know, they're obviously still trying to research it. The one thing that Mercedes have been impressive of, you know, over the last few years is the fact that they respond to the situation as good as anybody, if not better. And that's really what it's all about now is reacting to a situation, perhaps, you know, putting those little bits on the wishbone just because of some flow-vis problems or, you know, whatever it be. They're they're obviously looking to try and understand it a little bit better. But uh, I wouldn't count anybody out, you know, the, the, the McLaren looks good out in the track, the, the Ferrari looks good out in the track, the Mercedes looks looks pretty good. A bit, bit strange, you know, on the, on the track itself, you can sort of pick up understeer or snappy oversteer from these cars, but the, the front of the Mercedes looked... And I was saying to Mark really earlier, it looked a bit wandery. You know, it wasn't as though it just had a constant understeer going around the co- going around the corner. It just seemed to be changing its direction a bit on its own. Um, I'm sure the driver was having some input into it, but it just seemed to be wandering around a little bit too much for my liking. 
Um, but again, taking the cars on the track, the Alpha Tori was 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 very good, looked very stable, very you know easy, you know consistent lines and stuff. But again, nobody's in, nobody's really in the clag. You know, it's just about sorting out this porpoising that some teams have it more than others, um, and and obviously sorting out reliability problems, which Alfa Romeo and Haas have had a bit of that we know of. I'm sure the others have had some little problems themselves, like. Um, Perez had a gearbox problem, I think it was, today. He brought out the first red flag of 2022. Um, so just just learn about it, identify your problems and try to fix them. How about Red Bull, Mark? They did have that gearbox problem with Perez. They're down in eighth in the distance covered charts, 1,051 kilometres. That's not too far behind. It's uh, it's less than 400 kilometres behind Ferrari, so it's not, not a crisis or anything. No, I just get the impression they made a later start. Then you know they were very late getting that um, that first run in, and I think um, it's probably just a reflection of that. Really, there's a lot of new parts I saw arriving. Um, you know, they wouldn't have been reacting to to anything that they'll have been planned. It'll just that was they were just arriving today for the first time. Um, boxes and boxes of the stuff. So yeah, I think they may be just a, a few days behind on on the schedule. That sort of has the look of um, them. Doesn't look anything particularly problematical with the car. I mean, it's it, it's it's had the same porpoising issues that everybody else has had. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Checker was in the car today, so uh, we didn't see Max in it, so we we couldn't really see if there'd been any progress in in terms of lap times. You weren't looking like for like there, but. Yeah, I think, um, again, it, it sounds boring to say it, but it, it, it's absolutely true. It's just way, way too vague at the moment. To, to, even even each team doesn't really know where it is. Um, so, and then they're not, because they're not going on performance runs or they're not doing race in simulations yet, there's no way of looking at it from the outside and saying definitely they're three tens or four tens off or we, we, we don't know at the moment. One team, Gary, that's been doing the miles but seems to have a few problems is Alpine, third on the distance cover charts, 1,187 kilometres. They were the slowest today. Esteban Ocon was 2.475 seconds off, as you said. So what is going on there? They're still not doing well in the speed traps. They're a little bit stronger in the speed traps than they were yesterday. They do seem to be operating to a bit of a speed limit, though, don't they? Yeah, um, I believe they've had some problems with the DRS, um, so they haven't been using that at all. Um, if they have been using it, it's just been experimenting. So there obviously there's a bit of a, a speed differential there to come from that that others are using quite a lot. Um, did, did, you know, they're, they're not at the back of the, the times um, sheet for no reason. They've obviously got a bit of a problem, and the DRS isn't all of it because the other cars are not using DRS all the time and they're still doing pretty good lap times. So it's one of those sort of things where they need to obviously see what they can see if they can uh, find out what the their problems are. It's you know they have a new and they, they talked about this new power unit with the split turbo and all that sort of stuff. But they, if you listen to it, it doesn't sound like they're running at the same sort of RPM as others. Now the the problem with that is that there's only one Renault engined car in the pit lane, so noise wise you can't compare it to another Renault engine car. So it's very difficult to know if they're exhaust system the way they work a turbo whatever is, is a bit different but I don't I don't think all's happy I suppose is the best way of putting it I think they've got more work to do than they would like to have done to be honest because it's, it's like anything you know you you can put fuel in the car and you do all sorts of stuff but when you put on a new set of tyres 
a quick car doesn't go slow. You know, you, it just happens basically because the thing's got grip. The driver will just buys into that enthusiasm of driving it. Um, so you're going to be at the bottom of the timesheets. It's not just because you haven't tried. It's because it's, it doesn't want to do it at that point in time. So I think they must have some sort of problems. I don't know what they are, but they're going to have to dig pretty deep, I think, before uh, before Bahrain, if they're going to get on top of it. Yeah, just trying to sort of take the... If, if they are running at reduced revs, I was just looking at the the difference between the speed at the start-finish line and the speed trap a few hundred yards further down, a few hundred metres further down. And um, Obviously, they're at the back of, the, of both, but... When you look at the the gains that they make between the two points, it's it's very small. It 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 it, it suggests either it's disastrously draggy or it is running down on power. Um, so yeah, like take the Alpha Tauri and the Haas out because they were both um, they were getting toes. Uh, Gasly got a, a lovely toe from Leclerc when, but he made forty seven kilometers up. But I mean that that you take take that out of the equation. The the Red Bull and the Ferrari made 35, 37 kilometers up between those KPH between those two points. The Alpine only twenty five. So this it suggests you know you, 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 even you're starting from a lower point, so it should actually be easier to make gains. But if you're running less power, obviously you won't. So yeah. I, it all tallies that they, the a they're running in on low power and and b they're not not running with the DRS. And the problem again with the DRS, we you know from what we can gather is that if he can't open the rear wing, then the porpoising is a bigger problem because obviously the, the rear wing load pushes the car down near the ground, so the port the movement the car bouncing up and down you know is continuous. Now some other cars I saw today they had DRS open or shut and they didn't really have the porpoising visibly. But the uh, the Alpine, you could see the movement in the car. Not not huge, not like the video if that's on the on the website. Um, but it, but movement in the back of the car. So if that's consistently happening, the car might be banging into the ground, which will take away speed as well. So lots of little things. But um, I think the main the main thing for them really is is to get the car operating like it should do, which is making the DRS work properly, which they may have to get sorted for tomorrow. I don't know. Um, and then know where they're standing because that's you know they have to try to be in the club as such with the guys that are running in the same sort of uh, configuration as the, the rest of the guys that are running before you know where you are. Yeah, certainly. There's probably a bit of cause for concern for Alpine fans at the moment, but it is still early days. I have to say on track, it's one of those cars, watching it coming through turn two, it just looks a little bit rear limited. It wasn't sideways or anything, but you can sometimes just see when it's just just starting to go and the driver's just having to manage it, and it just looks a little bit like that. So we'll see how they get on. Well, let's come back to the issue of porpoising, which we've referred to quite a bit. It's a big talking point today. Matteo Bonotto, the Ferrari team principal, mentioned that he felt that they and some other teams perhaps underestimated it. Mark, this does seem to be one of the defining things. It's, I guess, not a surprise because these are ground effect cars, but it does seem to have caught sum out with how extreme it's been and they're having to take some pretty big action to get it under control and therefore there's going to have to be some interesting changes because you can't just contain the problem you've got to solve it yeah i think it's caught everyone out but it, the the extent to which it's um impacted is 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 varied um but yeah we saw alpine taking a great big chunk out of the the side of the floor we um we seen alpha making big changes um to the floor and then it subsequently was they realized that the the damage to the gearbox yesterday was as as a result of that and they um they haven't limit they're running a little bit um and they're now talking about having a proper 
uh, cure for the problem in place by Bahrain test. So it's 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 no longer it'll be okay tomorrow. It's it's now oh, it'll be okay by Bahrain. Um, but Bottas is reporting that actually in the um, the mid and the high speed corners, he's very happy with the balance. Um, he said it's a little bit um, a little bit oversteer in the high speed. He said, but that's just because they sort of took a first guess at the the setup. And he said he feels that the the basic feelings he's getting from the car are, are quite good so he's not he's not ap- absolutely despondent but they, they they've clearly got a big issue to solve first and as bernardo said he said curing a a, a porpoise problem is not difficult it, it, you know it, it can be done quite easily but it it's curing it without losing a lot of performance and then that's going to be the key yeah so how do you cure porpoising how do you how do you go about understanding the origin of the problem where where would you be looking first to understand that and what are the options available to you to to make a change how big a problem is it um well it can be a huge problem the thing is that you've got to stop it before it starts is the main thing um if you let it start it'll end up like that the the video as i say we have on our website you know once you get the car moving bouncing and that bounce is going through the tires uh, as well as the suspension then it just keeps on happening. In other words, the, the car will come down near the ground, the diffuser will, what are they, underfloor will stall, it'll release it, the car will come back up again, then the, the uh, underfloor will reattach and it'll come, you know, come down, so it just keeps on going. So you've got to get yourself out of that window, that critical window. Now that's about finding the area of the underfloor that is separating, the, the, where, the, where the problem really starts from, you know, because it, it is a separation problem underneath the car. Could be in the in the... I would imagine it's in the throat area of the floor where the lowest point of the floor is closest to the ground um, and not really so much in the diffuser, although if it could be in the diffuser and that means that the f- diffuser stalls, let, releases the car, the underfloor lets go. But I think what I'm seeing is more in the, uh, in the, in the floor of the car. So it's about finding that area and then trying to contain it or, or uh, reduce it. And that's what these holes that they're cutting on the sides of the side, side of the floor is. It's really finding that area where it's working too hard and then letting some airflow into it just to, to reduce it. But that way you're going to lose downforce. You're going to lose downforce when it's not porpoising. So you don't want to do that with a racing car. You want to try and uh, keep all the downforce, downforce you can, keep all the grip you can. So you've just got to identify that area and then address it in whatever way it may be just a, a you know a bigger fillet radius between a, a side wall and, and the floor um it can be lots and lots of things the the, the splitters underneath the leading edge of the floor that have got the raised leading edge i mean they're very curved got a tail uh, a, a trailing edge which comes out to where these sort of side ducts are to make the front of the floor work harder a change in the shape of that so as i say you just got to identify the area that's that's struggling then you'll go, you can go back to to probably your CFD mainly and actually research different shape splitters, uh, different fillet rods. You you have to put that that um, that area of the floor. You need to get your CFD to correlate with that problem. Find out how you can do that and and try and you know uh, model it and then try and fix it by moving bits around. So I wouldn't like to stand here and say that if I'd run the cars, I know how to fix it for tomorrow. But the first thing you would try to do is probably um, run the, the car either a little bit higher or a little bit stiffer. So you keep the rear off the ground that little bit at high, very high speed. These cars have got sort of two side springs and they've got a central spring as well, which is really to stop the car banging into the ground and down the straight. So you'd 
work on the combinations of that. But that would be putting like putting a bandage on because that will hurt you somewhere else. So you need to work for today to put the bandage on, but then for tomorrow you got to fix the problem and allow the car to be the the correct spring rate. So it isn't. I don't think it's someone you can sort of say I you know I know how to fix it without losing downforce. Um, back in the, the old ground effect days, you know, we had the, the you know, sort of major ground effect tunnels and the sliding skirts. I mean, those things created massive amount of downforce. But on some occasions, you would see cars with some holes at the front of the sliding skirt, you know, three or four or five holes, about sort of an inch diameter or whatever. And that was the same problem. That was just to release a little bit of the of the low pressure that was underneath the car, let, let some air suck in there to to be able to trim the porpoising, you know. As I say, the big problem is you've got to stop it before it starts because once it's started, it's a completely different problem to, to just before it starts. So uh, I, I, it's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on and it could very easily, when you run into a, a race weekend, uh, and especially a race where you get a bit of traffic, that will affect it as well because, you know, a little bit of variation in airflow direction can be like a light switch as far as porpoise is concerned. So... Interesting times ahead, I think you might call it. And of course, so that people can get an idea for what's actually happening, that F1 video that they put out of, of Leclerc and the Ferrari, the Ferrari wasn't doing that a huge amount of the time, but it did do it quite aggressively. You can see how much it's doing it. But also, if you just look at the track, we went down to to look at the end of the main straight first today, and, and you can see these sort of patches. They kind of come over the brow and descend down towards turn one. And there's just like patch after patch after patch. And yeah, you did see that in the past, but not to this extent. And yeah, all the evidence is there. This is what they're struggling with. The interesting thing is, Mark, that given everyone's got a certain amount of a, of, of a problem with this, how much of a knock-on do you think that's having in terms of them not understanding other aspects? Because if you've got a big problem with this, it's compromising your approach to corners, your entry to corners. And the thing you're really trying to understand with the car, probably more than anything dynamically, is its behaviour on turning. The, the sort of limit behaviour on the brakes, transition into the corner, etc. So it could actually be kind of shutting them off, really understanding bits of the car that they need to be getting into. Exactly. And I think that comes back to the point that you've, you made at the start of the podcast where that the, 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 it's the, the pattern looks just the same as it did yesterday and it, they're not getting um, past the point of uh, the, the big problem. They're not yet into refining the car. They're just... Um, ameliorating the effects of the the major problems I, I think everybody's still in that boat um after the second day yeah and even though people have said that six days of pre-season testing the cars are running fine we don't need it all that's actually quite significant because if everybody's butting against a certain version of a glass ceiling should we say in terms of what they can achieve that that is meaning that the, the the clock's counting down especially given the intended wet running tomorrow whether that's by the weather helping out or by uh, by the track being soaked well, there's six containers sitting in the paddock at the moment to put that water onto the track if necessary. But yeah, just going back to the, the, the pre-season testing and what you do, I mean, one of the things you do with a new car is once you've got your systems all operating the way you want it, you would go through a, a sort of sweep of setup, um, different stiffnesses, vertical roll stiffnesses. And you, you know, you vary the stiffness probably 10%, maybe 15% front, you know, try it softer front springs and a stiffer front roll bar vice versa, then you go to the rear and do the same again. Well, if you got this problem, you can't because you know you're affecting something else more dramatic. So you, you all that stuff you can't do um, until you've got, got good confidence in the fact that the car will do its job when it's on the track with whatever setup you got on it. It won't be bringing it into a window with some other problem, which is obviously the porpoising. So as I said with the Ferrari video, you can see it. It's... it's it, 
once it's moved once, it moves so violently. And as I say, it bounces on the tyres as well as the suspension. Um, and then you can't stop it. No matter what you do, it won't stop. So you just need to be able to get it far enough away from that window to not let it start to begin with. And uh, it, that, if you're going to do that on suspension stiffness, you're going to pay a price somewhere else. We talked about the porpoising problem a lot, Mark. Is there anything else interesting going on technically? Obviously, there is stuff interesting, but are there talking points and things that you're, that you're hearing people talk about that are grabbing the attention, or has this just become overwhelming, the, the getting on top of this before you can get into the rest of it, as we talked about with the car dynamics? Well, there's this and reliability running, and in some cases, they're, they're connected. Um, what we're not hearing much talk about is the tyres, which I think is a good thing, um, although it's, it's not that demanding um, in these temperatures. It, it's um, They do seem to be consistent, and it does seem to be a, a sort of predictable gap between the compounds, and we're not hearing anybody say, you know, the, the, I, I couldn't really... Um, get the best from the car because by the time you know we'd sort of did the, the, the tires were, were gone and you know not hearing any of those things that used to be quite familiar so i think that's um that's a positive sign um but yeah other than that i think um we we get we're waiting for the um what, what gary was talking about before the the, the, the more refining aspects before you start getting into what's going to differentiate what's a quick car and what's a, a average car and what's a bad car i don't think we were at that stage yet yeah and that's going to happen as as, as time progresses through bahrain it is interesting though that we will probably see slightly more restrained throwing of parts at the car particularly early on because of the cost gap certainly for the biggest teams simply because you've got to be a little bit careful about spending that on things you don't definitely know you need because that could shut down avenues later on and that that's quite an interesting little strategic thing there's an efficiency battle going on as well there but one thing gary did want to ask you we asked you this yesterday but you hadn't seen the cars on track but just in terms of how good these cars are the effect visually whether they look proper you've seen more generations of grand prix cars than uh, than most uh, at this stage so so is it working um, yeah, well, if I go way back to my first Formula 1 car, the Jordan 191, which I know that a lot of people on this podcast like the look of still, you know, that was a car that aesthetically was pleasing to the eye, or at least pleasing to my eye. Um, and these cars are the same. You know, they, they, all, they all sort of blend together from front to back. You know, there's no, there's no, none of these big steps that we used to see in the noses and the chassis and all that sort of stuff. I mean, they're still all there uh, underneath the chassis, high up and all that sort of stuff, because that's the trend. But they're all... They look like a complete car to me. Uh, the front wing is, you know, a lot less complex than it was a few years ago. It's a lot. Um, it looks a lot more robust than it was even last year. Um, you know, the fact that the, the front wing end plates and stuff are fairly basic, and the front wing end plates are the, probably the one thing I would say they're just a bit. They're a bit brutal for what you, you, you sort of doesn't blend into the rest of the car. There's a sort of aesthetic curve on the top of them, which. I think is you know it's just been put there, but they're a, they're a size that they are because the teams want it to be able to advertise on them. So you you get what you you want, you know you you get that because you have to put stickers on it. But my way, that's the only bit that I say is a bit brutal. I cut it down a bit to be honest. Um, but the rest of the car, I think, is is great, and we've got such variety of of stuff going through the car from front wings to side pods to how the cooling radiator inlets to coke bottles to suspension setups, you know. That everything is actually quite a lot different. And I think even the teams are surprised about the sort of different range of of uh, form that the cars have come out in. 
Now, will they all converge at some point in time? Some things you can do, some things you can't do, uh, or some things are more difficult to do. But as you say, the cost cap might just keep a, a bit of a a bit of a cap on that for a little while until you really um, know what you want to do. Because with anything like that, you know, we all know about budgets, you can only spend it once. So you have to spend it wisely and you have to, might have to wait a bit of time before you, uh, before you do spend it. And one other thing, Mark, we do have to mention briefly, it's a very fluid situation. So we don't want to get into it in too much depth because it could move in a matter of minutes after we uh, we talk about this. Stefano Domenicali has convened a meeting about this. And so we may hear something. This, of course, is the Russian Grand Prix at the end of September, so everyone's probably thinking it's got a bit of time before has to worry too much about it. But with what's going on in Ukraine now, this is a big issue. Sebastian Vettel said he'd boycott the race if it uh, went ahead at this stage. What do you make of this situation? Does Formula One need to say something emphatic about it? Does it need to call off the Grand Prix? It feels like something needs to happen, but I guess it's a question of what. And F1, I guess, naturally would love to kick the can down the road and wait for things to calm down a bit and hope that all everything's fine but that's not really an option is it no i think there's um there's, there's two pressures there's a there's corporate pressures and it's to do with public perceptions um and making the wrong call it, it can hurt public perceptions of corporations that are um, involved and there's the 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 fan base itself and it's a very tricky call um because you know uh, it's why why should the russian fans be denied their grand prix because their leader's chosen to act in the way that he has in reaction in response to concerns that he had so without getting into why a war kicks off um it it's it, it's a very very tricky situation but you you formula 1 can't say it's not involved in politics when it's a global sport you by definition are and if you just ignore it you become a football from for one side or the other and by definition you're then involved in politics so yeah it's it, it's a there's i don't think there's a solution that you can come out where where everybody looks uh good and uh everybody's happy yeah, check the race website as there'll probably be some news about that by the time you listen to this. The one thing we do know is happening is that Haas has announced that the Earl Carly branding is being taken off the car for the third day of the test. And uh, an interesting line, I was just looking at the story that Scott Mitchell wrote about it. And there's a sentence that says, it's known that senior Mazepin Dimitri was among the 37 businessmen meeting up with Putin in the Moscow Kremlin on Thursday. So yeah, check in when you listen to this for the latest news on what's going on with the Russian Grand Prix and, and wider Russian issues in F1. Thanks very much, Gary and Mark, for your insights. Of course, there's plenty to read on the race website. Don't forget the hyphen if you're heading there to the race.com. There's also the race live hub, which gives live coverage of testing, which includes the details of what's happening on track as well as loads of insight about goings on in the test and the, and the chance to ask some questions. We've had loads of questions from, uh, from readers and fans more, I'm ashamed to say, than we could have got through so far but we're we're trying to get to them and we really appreciate them also check out our past podcast covering the launches and day one of testing as well and our youtube channel there's one more day of running remaining for this test so join us next time for everything you need to know about barcelona pre-season testing <laughs>